I'm Bailey Kobe from Double Entente. We're a small production company. It's a bit boutique. We specialize in the luxury area uh, with clients such as Louis Vuitton, Dior, BMW, Mercedes. We're often looked at as, as uh, the ones to also work with uh, sort of really high-profile celebrities like Zendaya, uh, Kanye West, uh, Travis Scott, for example. I'm Mariah Owen. I'm an actor and filmmaker. I started my production company, GTE Productions, when I was 21. I produce primarily narrative content for TV, film, digital media, uh, do some music videos and festivals and commercial content as well. Um, I love movies. I want to make movies for the rest of my life. And I'm so grateful to be here today. And I can't wait to get back to work. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jennifer Weberly. I run Metamorphic Productions, which is a creative content company. For about 15 years now, we've made everything from low budget feature films to graphic novels. And I've also been a tech specialist in the same area of entertainment, independent artists, and small film production companies for 15 years as well. Uh, I'm Chris Edgar. Uh, I'm an attorney. I used to work at a big Wall Street law firm, but now I have my own solo practice that focuses on uh, intellectual property, entertainment, and just general commercial litigation issues. Uh, I'm also a film producer and composer, and I've worked on a bunch of features and shorts and digital series and so forth. Just kind of in general, because I know a lot of people on here um, they may already have production companies, but for the people who really want to start a production company, but have no idea where to begin, they have fears, they have concerns. Can you talk to us, um, Bailey or Mariah, whoever has a, uh, the first one wants to speak. What were your concerns or fears when you were moving in, when you decided, I'm going to do this? It was excitement. I think it's a great time for a filmmaker. Uh, you know, when you're when you're at that point where you say, I can make a company, I need to make a company, really, because uh, either the business, you know, uh, warrants that, whether that's a production. For us, it was uh, a movie. You know, we're like, okay, great. We're going to go into production. You have to create that single purpose entity, uh, which I think Chris will talk more about. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so in terms of like the, the, the precipice, it's like, yeah, it's great to be able to do that. So I'm excited to to try and uh, you know uh, take people along what we did and and, and sort of field the questions about um, you know where where to go essentially uh, as as you start out because it is an exciting time, right? Totally. I I think for me starting a production company really came out of a necessity. I wanted to work with union actors. I I wanted to work with bigger budgets and I had to be incorporated in order to do so. Uh, so to kind of jump through the hoops that were required to make my films and make the projects I wanted to make, I had to become incorporated in order to level up. In, in my career, so. To work with other people, that was, a, that was the thing, that was the thing, it's like to work with yeah. other great people, you needed this entity in which to connect you all together, legally, taxation-wise, et cetera. Exactly. What happens when you first, for me, I started to, I formed a production company because I had clients already coming in, I'm assuming that's sort of where you guys were, like it just started to get serious enough that you had to form some kind of entity. Um, but how do you get, keep clients coming in? How do you level up your clients? Because I know that you guys are working all the time. Right. I think for me, I've really, I really started in narrative and that's my, where my love and my heart is. But uh, in the last couple of years, really branching out to get those commercial clients who seem to be my returning clients and or clientele, if you will. And I think by going out, making those connections and meaningful connections, not just like trading business yeah. cards with someone, but, you know, having a conversation, what do you like? What do I like? Can we find a way to work together? That's really been the way for me to find those clients. And uh, even my fellow filmmakers, you know, I think Leah McKendrick's on here, who we all know, uh, Leah and I have consistently worked together again and again, because we have a relationship uh, and we work really well together. And I think that's been uh, the most important factor in terms of building a client base and keeping it. Um, or, and I don't really want to say clients, more like collaborators, I think is a better, a better word for it. Um, but also going out and, you know, finding those people you want to work with. Is there a director you really like or a writer you really like? Well, then find their email and, and reach out and see if you can make that connection to, uh, to start chatting. Bailey, how do you get these really big name clients that you, that, it seems like people come to you. How are they finding you? It is weird. We exist in a very bizarre sort of cacophony of, uh, of personal networks. And, and, and as uh, Mariah says, it, it is all about relationships. And, and for us, it's been work. It's like, you know, the, the, the thing we do is, is the thing that people see. And then people say, oh, well, that's great. And then so, you know, then this client will call. And so it sort of propagates itself within, um, uh, as crappy as that is to say, within sort of word of mouth. Uh, honestly, it's like, you know, uh, my exactly like, and, and so it's just like, 
you know, my, my first music video was a, a number one hit in France. And it was just like, that was a thing that people were like, oh, hey, that was really good. Then Louis Vuitton called and said, hey, the things you're doing for those, you're doing for Universal, can you do for us? And so it kind of propagates itself, the work. Uh, for me, it's all about the work. So a lot of it then is just luck. I mean, being ready, Absolutely. being good at what you do, but super crazy having luck. that first luck, lucky. I really hate, I hate whenever I'm doing these panels and that's the answer I have to give them. I'm like, <laughs> I know there's no like magic book that tells you. Um, I think there is a little bit of a, a, a magic trick, if you will, because your work was awesome, but also your work ethic. And I think that speaks for itself. So people see that project and then they either, you know, meet the people behind it. Like they met Bailey and they were like, oh my gosh, this dude is awesome. I want to work with him as well because it's your work that's, you know, kind of uh, catches people's eye. But I think it's how you work with people that continues that, that opportunity to work. Yeah, they want to see if you're crazy or not, too. Like, they'll, they'll like your work, but then they'll want to meet you. They'll want to meet you and be like, okay, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. He has a point of view, or this girl has a point of view and a vision and, uh, and, a, and a love and a passion for what they're doing. Right. I think they can bring that to my project. What I think for me, like, what so Chris and I, uh, we do Heart on Fire productions together. And we've had those lucky moments where something drops in our lap. Like, I've had Billy Ray Cyrus drop in my lap. And then I've tried to claw and scratch to get projects and I can't land them. I've made, like even with Bailey, Bailey has called me and like, can you put a, a pitch together? Cause we want to see if we can get you to be the director for this project. And you put all this work into it and then it goes, sorry, we're going with our buddies. Too. Yeah, it keeps, but this is a, I think it's something we all deal with. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is, can we give them, and Jennifer and Chris, of course, speak up. Is there something, something we can give to all of us? Something that's like, look, I cold reached out to, this person who I didn't know and it worked and here's what I did. Does anybody have a story like that? I, I do in terms of uh, a couple different projects. I mean, how I really started even working with Leah or how I'm on this panel today. Uh, Leah cold emailed me and it was literally an email, went to my Hotmail account, not even, I don't have a Hotmail account anymore, but uh, <laughs> my, um, you know, I just really incorporated my production company and, and emailed me and said, hey, I'm a female filmmaker. If you're looking for a film, choose mine. This is what it's about. It MFA, a vigilante thriller about campus rape. And, um, you know, that kind of started a journey for me and solidified to me that a cold email really can work. But I think when you're doing that, you have to make sure that you have an idea that is so, um, you know, I don't say extraordinary, but it is. It's something that, you know, catches people's eyes. It's well thought out. Um, I, I think the power of a cold email is amazing but finding that way to connect with the person on the other end of it is you know imperative and um, i would say now to those of you watching that now is such a great time to try to connect with people that you've been wanting to connect with because especially in like the sort of industry sector um where nobody like a lot of people aren't working so they have the time to reply to you they're not overly you know overwhelmed like normal um okay if, if throughout the thing you guys think of any wonderful, remarkable client stories you're forgetting, bring them up. Because I think that's really the, the crux of feeling like you feel good enough to start and keep a production company is keeping money in your pocket. Um, in the meantime, I would love to hear about one of your biggest or most exciting clients. Um, something that was like, I cannot believe this is happening moment. Uh, <laughs> he slow sip the tea. <laughs> Well, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have like just insane experiences in this industry. Uh, but I think just working with Kanye West kind of took me aback because you don't know what to expect. And so you, you, you go in there and you, you try and do all the due diligence. You make sure everything is perfect. You make sure that, you know, that green room experience is perfect. Their experience, as soon as that driver comes and drops them outside of uh, your location, that experience that that star is going to have, and which is why I think people look at us as, as people know how to take care of stars is a plus. And it's not about throwing money, but it's about thinking about what they need in order to, you know, execute uh, for the day and, um, you know, doing your due diligence and working really hard to, to provide that experience so that the artist can perform and then they perform. That's the crazy part for me. When Kanye, like, I was like, it was a concert of one to one. It was just like, I just completely, everything else zoned out. Like we had like hundreds of extras, but like, it was just like, Kanye is singing to me. This is weird. Um, and he's not yelling at me and he's, he's appreciating, you know, sort of the things that we've been doing. And so, uh, I think, you know, when it, when it, when it comes to, and it just speaks to intimidation when you, when you, um, get to that sort of quote unquote next level of client, when you're working for a bigger client that, uh, may intimidate you, 
you know, you just kind of rely on the thing that got you there, which is the hard work, the work that you've done before. It brought you on for a reason. And, you know, it's, it's just about maintaining that work ethic of, of delivering uh, what it is that you do. do you, I love that. Oh, I was going to ask you, how did you get the, was the Kanye a thing for your production company? Your production company had that gig. How did you get Kanye? You remember? Yeah, we had uh, done some work for Dior and, uh, uh, you know, he was uh, connected to Balmain, which is uh, another luxury company. And it was just kind of a, a reach out thing where he was just like, uh, you know, he had his people reach out and um, he was doing, there was like one more video that him and Big Sean wanted to do. And um, it was a music video called All Your Fault. And, you know, uh, Big Sean's album, uh, you know, Emmy nominated was, it was massive, you know, it was such a, I, was, I, I assumed it was going to win that year. And I know Kanye wasn't happy, <laughs> um, but it, you know, it was, it was a, 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 just one more video that they, they wanted to do on that album. Uh, that was close and personal and they wanted uh, sort of the intimacy and the uh, I think the immediacy that we provide in terms of the filming experience and it's obvious when you look at our work and so uh, they just reached out and you know and said this is something you can do uh, obviously you know when you're when you're dealing with instances like that when you have a you know a sort of an a-lister there there's always almost the expectation that you're gonna have to be giving up a lot you know it's just like okay I know my fee is gonna disappear into you know the cost of extras or something like that something that you always have to kind of trade off. But I will say I was super surprised. Everything came in and we didn't have to give up much. And I think the expectation was is to just deliver uh, well for, for the artist. Did you have to pitch, your, pitch yourself for the project, make a deck and all that? Or just, it was just one of those nice little, nope, you're it. I, That's great. I've, yeah, it's like when you're, when you're doing you know, pitches, it's, it's more for you know, commercial work and, and you know, it's maybe something outside of your, your wheelhouse that you have to show. Uh, a lot of times, you know, it just kind of comes in and that's, you know, from the directorial side, uh, from the, from the producing side and the production company side, um, you know, you're trying to foster the director. Uh, you know, we work with a handful of directors and it's about supporting them in the process of making sure that their vision is clear, whether that's talking on a zoom chat, talking on the phone, talking, you know, or sending that deck, you know, how, how good is that deck express what it is that we want to do for that artist or that client? Um, I, I guess the other, the follow the final follow-up question on that whole thing is, or statement is, I think that especially in the music business, if those of you who are listening to the panel who are really looking to be part of the music world, which maybe just run, there's not as much money as you think there might be. Um, <laughs> but I do find that those projects fall in your lap. Like they're not as complicated to get. It, it is about fostering relationships and sort of having the good work. But, even, but I mean, we got uh, Billy Ray's video without the, the manager even seeing our work. It was just, we were there and we were nice. So you but, hear, you guys yeah, do it. But don't, don't discount that. I think the music industry is a very powerful tool, especially for a young creator because they have an audience. Billy Ray Cyrus, can you imagine all of Billy Ray Cyrus's fans saw your video? Yeah. And that's, that's what happened to us. It was just like all the fans of oh, this Oh no, I'm not saying, artist. yeah, for sure. And it's fun. It's especially making music videos because it's this whole just freedom, usually a narrative and it's less like commercials are tougher and there's a lot more people involved. Um, Mariah, did you have any final thoughts on that before I move on to the? Uh, I, I think the biggest thing for me when I kind of made the transition from, I mean, I'm still doing both, but from indie filmmaking to commercials and working with bigger brands and brands and people that I admire and, you know, have been a fan of, I think was keeping the mentality of still being an indie film producer. And that's really, really helped me about going the extra mile. Um, you know, kind of how Bailey was saying about making those certain sacrifices or the ones that you think you'll make. Um, but kind of keeping that uh, attitude of, okay, I'll do whatever it takes to get this made and bringing that to the commercial world has really helped uh, making those connections with corporate clients as well. Um, so uh, time for Jennifer and Chris to get involved here. And of course, Mariah and um, Bailey speak up with your experience, but a lot of people want to know how to choose their incorporation or should they even get incorporated? And then if they do, is it S Corp, is it LLC? Uh, Jennifer, what do you normally tell people? How do you usually break that down for people? I actually usually tell them to consult a lawyer first. Because <laughs> it, it depends on what they're doing. In terms of entities on the tax side, the biggest mistake I see coming this way is that if it's for one project, if your production company is for one project, um, it is it inevitably ends up the people come to me when they want to do their taxes, which is already after they've shot a film mm -hmm. or a project. They've got investors and they're either a single member LLC 
but they have investors with agreements stating that those investors will get K-1s and those kinds of things. So then they're not really a single member LLC anymore on the tax side hmm. because you've got to have you've got to have the investors on uh, the company and involved in K-1s and all these other things unless it's a loan. So that's the biggest mistake I see on this side is I've got single member LLCs because they wanted all the creative to themselves, which I completely understand, but then they ended up with investors. And so if you, if you want to open a production company to do what you guys are actually talking about, that's, that's different. And that can be a couple of different ways as well, depending on if you have investors or you don't. Um, and so that's why I say talk to a lawyer to tell a lawyer what you want in terms of protection of liability and things like that before you come over to the accounting side, because it really depends on what your goal is with your production company. Um, I, so most people, when they do a feature film, they definitely, I, I've seen the question that keeps come up, what's the best entity for a feature film? That usually people do an LLC for just your feature film. But as far as a production company, um, can you talk to us uh, Chris as well, but uh, Jennifer, I'm really thinking more of a tax thing. Like for instance, I'm trying to decide, should I, if I'm the only person who's the owner of this production company, should I be an S corp? Cause I'm maybe, am I going to get better tax write-offs or should I be an LLC because the paperwork's easier? Does it really matter for taxes? Um, so for that specific question, um, it does matter, but the main difference between an LLC and an S corp in terms of entity on our side is actually not very much because an LLC can elect to be treated by the IRS and the uh, California or whatever state you're in as an S corp. So an LLC does not exist in the eyes of the federal government in terms of taxes. An LLC has to choose between being treated as a partnership and an S corp. Um, and there really is uh, no choice there because an S corp is gonna be better for you in the long run on, um, the, on the tax side. And can you uh, get into that more? Like, why is the S-Corp better in the long run? There... Um, in terms of a production company for you, because the, well, it really, it, I'm sorry, I know I keep saying it depends. It depends on how much money you're planning on making. So an LLC and an S-Corp are taxed differently from this in the state of California. One is taxed based on its gross, which is the LLC, as opposed to an S-Corp, which is taxed on its net. So that's that if you're going to stay in the $250,000 range and it's a loan out company situation just for you, then an S corp is going to tend to be better. Um, but the trick with an S corp is the IRS requires you to pay yourself a salary. Mm -hmm. So you can have some tax benefits by doing that. But I mean, you definitely need to get an accountant involved at that point because you need to be doing payroll re tax returns for yourself every quarter. But then you end up you have to do that from the government's perspective because the other thing is the S-Corp's profits are not taxed to you under self-employment. And an LLC coming through as a oh, no. would end up with that profit directly in your personal tax return and you get self-employment. So self-employment is designed by the government to protect you in some ways because you're paying into Medicare and Social Security. So if you don't have self-employment, then you're not. And certainly the other benefit in this particular moment in time is if you have an S-Corp and you're paying yourself a reasonable salary, then you can also, um, you're eligible for unemployment, even claiming against yourself. Oh, so, that's, yeah, that's a smart, because I have, I have a real issue where I couldn't, and most people I know could not claim unemployment. Thankfully, California kind of helped us out there afterwards. But, um, and then as far as, I had a question in there somewhere. That, this is all such great information. And Actually, if I could add one thing. Yes, please. And just yes, to be clear, right now we're talking about um, a company, a sort of an umbrella production company when we're talking right. about yes. forming S Corp or an LLC, yes. as opposed to what Bailey referred to earlier, which is a, um, a single, uh, which is a, an LLC devoted to a single movie. Like if you were making right. Fast and the Furious Part 26, right. you'd have the Fast and the Furious 26 LLC, but you could also have Hard on Fire Productions that is the, uh, the managing member of that company. Right. Well, then, and like Mariah, you could probably speak to this too, as far as Jennifer as well, because you guys do a lot of feature films. So we would have Hard on Fire Productions, say S Corp, and then when we do Playing with Beethoven, it's its own LLC. So, right. the, but here's a question for you. Um, is it true that as an LLC or S Corp that you don't have to pay the $800 the first year of your, for FTB? As an S Corp, you are exempt for the first year. So that's another, I guess, benefit of going S Corp over LLC then. Or can you also do that as an LLC? You can also do that as an okay. LLC. Because when, if you elect as an LLC to be an S Corp in the eyes of the government, then they're going to treat you that way.
So now sense. I'm a production company. It's just me that's getting paid the salary. I've decided to go S Corp. I'm paying myself regularly. But now I need to hire Chris to compose some music. So can he still be a 1099 employee? And I'm sure a lot of people watching want to know. <laughs> You're going down the AB5 route? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. He cannot, the, the, the simple, now they're fighting this right now. So the, the, and this has been going on. So um, the simple answer is no. Right now in the eyes of California, anybody who is controlled by the production company and music's a little trickier, post-production's a little bit trickier and they, they might be able to get away with it, but production for sure, crew cannot be because you have a call sheet. Anybody on the call sheet is considered controlled right now. Um, in terms of showing up and therefore is an employee. Uh, the other benefits of this are that typically, I am an independent filmmaker and I have done this myself, the 1099 situation obviously is cheaper for the production company and the film or the project. Uh, you don't have to pay payroll taxes and you're typically not paying workers comp. You're definitely not paying unemployment for the crew typically because SAG requires it. So you, if you've got SAG, then you're already paying them. So the dangerous thing about that is that this law is not actually as new as it, as it sounds. You just made one big major change this year, and I'll talk about that in a second. But your crew has not been covered if you're not W2ing them by workers' comp and things like that. And if those people are harmed, um, there is a possibility that they can, uh, especially if it's big, that that uh, is a huge liability for other reasons uh, other than just taxes and saving money. So... The major difference that California stated in January of this year was that until proven otherwise, a person is an employee now. Okay. And that, that's the ABC test. They are saying if you are hiring someone that you control and they're working for you that is in the normal course of your business, they are an employee. So if you hire, I mean, literally it says craft service is an employee, but catering is not. You can hire a company as a 1099 for catering. The other thing they're really fighting right now is uh, a company to company situation. Like last year, if you, if I hire you, Jen, and you've got your loan out company and it's company that used to be like, cool, you're 1099. Um, right now that is also not the case. A company to company situation does not automatically make you not an employee. So it's, uh, it's a bit drastic, but I will say that the unions came together with the state of California last summer and in the fall and literally wrote a letter and SAG and Directors Guild, I see all of them said, oh, this will not affect our industry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> so, it's pretty bad. So yeah. basically then I, as my production company, I can, I can hire, um, I can't hire a DP unless he's an employee, but I could hire someone to come clean my studio as a 1099. Yes, if they're a company. Because so, they're outside the regular work. The only other two people that are kind of getting away with it are writers and producers right now are on the exemption list because technically they wouldn't be on a call sheet. So technically you're not controlling mm -hmm. them except for deadline, which is why post-production might slip through too. Like a that, that's, a good, that's a good way to, and I would talk to a lawyer or a tax person first, but that could be a good way to get around these on our small projects where it's like, oh, yeah. just hire everybody <laughs> as a producer. And no. I, will, I will say right now that everything that I'm saying on this panel is not considered uh, legal tax <laughs> advice. <laughs> I mean, the thing is that there is, a, I'm sorry, I didn't No, go ahead. Um, there is this business to business exception within AB5, but the problem is that because this law was just enacted in January, there hasn't been much entertainment related litigation. And so we still need to have a, a fulsome understanding of what this business to business exception really covers. Yeah. Okay. That's a good oh. way to put it. <laughs> okay. So moving back to everybody starting their production company, um, you've decided if you're S Corp LLC, you're, you're, you're ready to set up. If you did any of you bring in capital to your company to start, did you bring in investors, financers, or just any, or did you just, you just went off clients, kept it small until you built yourself up? I, um, I started with a little bit of capital that I had built uh, from a previous company that I had. Uh, but I think a really big point that I want to mention uh, for that conversation, which had so many awesome points, uh, you know, even I'm learning, which I love. <laughs> um, but, you know, really getting back to the why you're starting a production company, you know, it's a lot of work. It's, you know, a lot of time, a lot of paperwork, you know, so much responsibility and just really remembering 
what type of content you want to produce as well. Um, you know, I was just kind of reading the chat box, which I know we're not supposed to look at yet, but uh, you know, it's, it's really important if you're an independent filmmaker, remember why you're getting into this and that there's a lot of work involved and it's not something that you can just set up in a day and it's going to run itself, you know, really thinking it through of wanting to make sure, you know, do I have uh, another job in the meantime that can help support my production company until I'm ready to do it full time. Um, so for me, I was, you know, knowing I wanted to create more content and to have a production company. So I started saving up um, a little bit of capital to be able to build my first or to fund some of my first projects yeah. um, and kind of invest in myself. I didn't go to film school. So I kind of looked at it as the investment I put in my company is almost the tuition I would have put in for a smart station. Yeah. It's really smart. And then you, you end up with more work and contacts after instead of a lot of debt for right. sure. Um, I think a lot of people most are probably, so for, for most people I know who've done a production company, as far as the capital, do you raise capital question is a lot of us have just started small. We, we were like, I'm going to form an LLC so that I can hire people and I can take on projects or whatever, which you actually can do is just a DBA as well. Um, but then so for you to want to bring in capital, it's such a risk. So I guess the question would be, would any of you, why would anybody want to bring in capital? Do you guys have an answer for that? I think it's really important. And I'm sure Bailey can definitely speak to this as well. Um, you know, make sure you do some producing work prior to starting a production company. I have uh, a lot of people that I know in my life who I love dearly, but they're actors who aren't working at the moment. And so they started a production company because they thought it would be easy. And it's not. And so I think, uh, you know, making sure you have some credits prior to starting your production company so that you have a track record, you know, a proven track record of being able to put in the work either, you know, um, as an on the ground on set producer or, you know, pulling in that financing, go work for somebody else for a little bit, learn what to do or honestly what not to do and take that and build your company in a way that, you know, is, is so uniquely you. Um, but I'd love to hear what Bailey has to say too, because you've worked with some huge clients. Let me ask Grace Yu's question, because I think it's the same. It might help us answer the question. I just asked a little more. So Grace Yu says, what sort of function would your own production company serve if you are a filmmaker starting out in indie movies? Not necessarily looking to make a lot of movies or making a lot of money or looking to do many commercials. I mean, is that, in my mind, you don't even really need to start a production company, just go make your movies. <laughs> well, I, I think, oh, Bailey, you go. No, go ahead, please. Uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest thing is, you know, do you want to help other people tell their stories? So with your first project, I would definitely build it in-house if you think that you want to have a production company that people hear the name and they associate with great work or a certain a type of work, you know, whether you're in genre or whatever. So I think it's really important to, um, if you want to have, be a producer and have a production company and work on projects that just, you know, that aren't just your own, it's really important to do that. Yeah, I'd like to share the question actually with Jennifer and Chris because there's there's elements to this that um, are, speak to the growth and 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 when you when you do sort of you know okay so I want to do a feature because we do features as well we do you know feature every summer or two and that's when we bring on the investors that's when we create another separate company we bring in the investors and we say okay we're going to work on this thing thing together guys um, we do that because a risk limitations. Um, you know, we, we, it, it's something that I see Jennifer smiling. Um, there, there's, 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 you know, uh, there's reasons for it. And I'd actually like to, to ask, uh, uh, Jennifer, what is it that you're advising, uh, uh, you know, your, your clients from the investor side, uh, about investing in films? My clients from the investor side, you're saying, yeah. do I, do I have investors? I don't, I don't have investors as clients actually. Gotcha. I, I, I specialize on the other side, on the filmmaker side, actually. Um, and again, what I, I, I get asked a lot if um, I should open an LLC now or I should do this or that. If, if you are a producer, that's one thing. I have a lot of um, actors actually and a couple of writers who ask me when they should open a company. Um, I think there are, again, several answers to that question. I think that if you are not making enough money independently outside the W-2 world, I don't see a reason for an independent artist to do that until they're making enough that they can tax, have tax benefits for, uh, uh, for if you have a lot of 1099 income, you're going to pay a lot of taxes. So if you have a number for company, that? You can, Is there a number that you it's say? It's usually around 100000 
Okay. That's about a hundred thousand dollars. If okay. you're, if you're up in the hundred thousand range, because you are going to have to pay yourself, right? And if you're going to pay yourself, you're going to pay taxes, not only on yourself, everybody's seen a paycheck, you know, you have Medicare, social security and withholding withheld. What people don't understand when they have a company is the company also matches social security and, and Medicare withholding. So there's a lot of math to figure out when it becomes the perfect time. It's usually around a hundred grand. That's, uh, that's, that's just for, for independence, right? I have a lot of writers who get 1099s and that kind of stuff. Um, I can't speak to the, the, exactly to the legal side of, of what an LLC would benefit an independent artist. Um, in terms of producing, um, I, as I said earlier, I find the biggest mistake is that people open up this company, they want to have a brand and they do all this work and they don't actually talk to a lawyer or an accountant, especially until a year later. I've had people come to me with two different films in there with six investors. The investors are on different sides. That's very complicated for on the tax side to do that. Um, so I hear you guys are more experienced. So you're obviously taking your, your brand and then you're making it a manager of the company. That's a good idea. Unless you are, any of you are being taxed as a partnership right now, if you're filing 1065s, that's actually become a red flag in the IRS in the last five years. So if you've got a partnership running other partnerships or a partnership in a manager position, we are actually, uh, as tax preparers, we actually have to note that. And the IRS is flagging that just for your information. So it sounds like the answer to all of this is talk to your lawyer and your tax specialist before you do anything. <laughs> and if, I'll just add one thing, which is that one purpose of having an entity that's separate from yourself is to protect your personal assets. Mm -hmm. So if you were to just do business as a, a film producer uh, under a DBA, which is not in itself a legal entity, then theoretically, if somebody sued you, uh, you know, for some claim arising out of the film, they could get it your personal money. Uh, and what you want to do is restrict them to the capital of the LLC. So have the LLC be the entity mm -hmm. that enters into the contracts rather than you. I love it. Um, and Chris, while we've got you here, um, is there another point, part to that where um, if people do want to bring in financiers or partners into their LLC, is there some, I, I know it's deeper and it would be a whole conversation, but is there like a sort of top level piece of advice to give people? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. well, you know, like we've been saying, talk to your lawyers and accountants. <laughs> <laughs> Careful. <laughs> yeah. Well, film finance. Yeah. And, and I'll say there are people who have come to me with documents that they've tried to prepare, like private placement memoranda and subscription agreements. That is agreements under which people purchase units in an LLC uh, in return for cash, the way that people typically invest in a film. And they say, hey, could you take a look at this? And I just look at it and say, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't want me to go to Google to make my own doc first yes, is what yes. you're saying. So that's a key point. I mean, generally speaking, when it comes to all types of contract, you may think that you're saving on legal fees and costs by doing law by Google. But in fact, you're not because if someone finds a, an ambiguity in that agreement later, like one of your investors or partners decides they want more money, and this is in the high quality problem situation where your film does make money, then that ambiguity may come back to bite you and you may end up in litigation, which will end up costing you far more in legal fees than it would mm -hmm. have to have a decent attorney look at the agreements in the first place. Also, everybody who's watching, um, because Chris is my partner and I get to, you know, basically abuse him for my legal needs, um, he's really good at this stuff. And right now he's like still excited about it. So he wouldn't charge you as much as a normal uh, entertainment lawyer. So get him now because probably in a year he's going to be like, I'm not even doing this anymore. Fuck it. <laughs> um, okay. We're getting close. We're at 140. I want to ask, uh, I want to get to our audience. So really quick, can you guys talk just a little bit about how you're staying afloat if you are? during this weird quarantine time? I think for me right now, I'm following up on a lot of projects uh, that have kind of been on the back burner, other pro like personal projects of mine, and in terms of staying afloat, uh, really working on development, you know, so that we're, our projects that are in development or pre-production, um, especially for our TV or digital media projects, uh, making sure that everything is as good as it possibly can be, so that as soon as we're allowed to film, um, and a lot of my projects are filming in Canada, and we're not allowed to film until August. So really trying to find ways to stay afloat, you know, pitch those projects so that we can get into development, get some money to uh, kind of start attaching people and packaging. Uh, that's been a huge thing. And also kind of exploring the new opportunities of creating content within the confines that we're all experiencing of being in our home. Um, so reaching out to new clients as well has been a huge, huge thing, making those connections. Um, yeah. 
I know, Jennifer, you've been busy helping people file unemployment. What else? <laughs> um, yes, for everyone listening who is an independent, uh, California is offering you, it's not a lot, but it is something, it's 167 a week plus 600. So if you have no work at all, I highly recommend you do it. Be patient and nice to them. They are well overwhelmed, um, but it is working. My clients are, are receiving unemployment. Um, I actually have, my clients right now have a, uh, I've been helping them with taxes, obviously, as well, and some of their accounting, depending on the films and personal, but I've also been delaying my charges, so I'm actually eligible for unemployment. But um, our content creation company, which does do a lot of different things, is doing similar stuff. We're pitching for development and trying to pull in, you know, we've got a graphic novel going out of Korea, you know, stuff like that um, in international waters so that it's not necessarily right here. So just keep working. I mean, yeah. it's been good that way. Um, Bailey, is there anything your production companies, are you able to do anything right now? Is everything on hold? Well, I think we're, you know, as, as creators, we're unstoppable. Nothing's going to really stop us. You know, I think the only thing that's been taken away from us is being on set together. And that's a crucial point, obviously. But the development, I mean, we're only on set, you know, honestly. Uh, it's a very finite time. The rest of the year, we're in development. We're in post-production. And so we've been very lucky that uh, we have sort of built up a bank and now we're just doing post-production on a couple of our projects and then, you know, going into uh, development on the next ones, trying to load up the chambers uh, so that we're hitting the ground running, which is coming soon. Uh, the more conversations I'm having, uh, I know California obviously is really pushing hard, but it's, uh, it's, it's coming really soon. And I think the industry, uh, you know, it, it, it's sort of the levels that you need, insurance, film permits, et cetera, they're, they're gearing up. They're, they're trying to understand what they need to do in order to uh, make a safe shoot and uh, work with production companies, give them guidelines in order to make that uh, one piece come back to us. One of our questions was what type of insurance should an umbrella production company have? Do they cover pandemics? I think the pandemic, like you just said, they're still trying to figure out if that's gonna be something you can pay for. Like right now, you have to opt out of having terrorist coverage after 9-11. You, yeah. you have to actually buy a terrorist package if you want it. Um, umbrella, production uh, umbrella production insurance. I have it, I've had it for years now, whether we have two projects or a hundred projects. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys, what's your, is there just a basic general rule of advice you go by? I mean, I just get the bare minimum what we need and it's been fine. You could rent your gear, you can. Yeah, yeah, we have general liability with an entertainment package on it for small, for, for low budget filmmaking. We pay it every year. And it's, it's the cheapest for your general um, liability plus your workers comp, it's around 5,000 bucks a year. So you really got to kind of commit <laughs> that you're going to do this. And then what I do is I always make sure there's a line item for insurance. So if we have a client, they're actually paying for insurance. So that's, you're not, it's kind of helping bring that back. Do you guys do that as well? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a great strategy to start small, get, you know, a basic package, uh, work with a great quality company. And that's what we, we got lucky. We started uh, with DeWitt Stern, which is a great company. They, I mean, they go, they do us and, and up to the Oscars, but they're not much more expensive. Uh, they're just very sophisticated in how they can uh, tweak your policy. So you can start in with the bare minimum and say, hey, this is what I'm expecting. I'm expecting to do this many projects or I'm expecting to do a movie, et cetera. And then once you get to it, because you're going to get to a location, this can be like, I want $5 million <laughs> minimum, right? I need, I need $5 million for even put sticks on my, on my, on my property. And so then you, you, go, you can go back to a quality company and say, hey, I need to tweak that. And they'll say, okay, they can make that, that, that thing for you. And then you can pass that uh, cost onto your clients and be like, okay, great. We want this. It's going to be another, you know, $800, et cetera. Right. Um, so it's, 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 uh, it does behoove you to, to get the, the package as soon as you get that timing of that first job of the year, <laughs> like, you know, so you're just like, okay, so January, okay, we're, we're, we're booked. Oh, fantastic. Call if you have a great, a great broker and a great company and a great relationship. And it's something that we've been talking a lot about relationships, having great relationships with somebody like Jennifer or somebody like Chris, et cetera, you can call on them to help advise, you know, the process. And so the same is with insurance. You know, we have an insurance advisor who's like, okay, great. This is what you guys are going to have to do for this. Oh, you want to do a stunt? Okay, hold on. <laughs> Let's talk. And actually, I have a question for you guys. Have any of you had any um, credits or extensions to your insurance policies? I know my car insurance is doing that, but is have any of you had that for entertainment I, insurance? I actually emailed my production company and our uh, insurance company and asked uh, for the production insurance and, and said, "Hey, car companies are doing this. Like, none of us can <laughs> use our none of our insurance. We can't even use it. So basically, you're I'm wasting you know three months, whatever how long this goes on, mm -hmm. and they're basically like, sorry for you.'" Yeah. 
it's okay. a sorry, it's a sorry for you because what they want to do, you know, to be frank, is they want to change that contract because the contract that you have right now, if we all have it, that doesn't say anything about COVID. Right. COVID, there's no exclusion. They want to get you to your ext- your extension, and then they're going to change that contract to include the COVID extension uh, exclusion, and then go as business as usual. It's just, it's so frustrating. I think um, just a little point, Jennifer, just before, for some of the indie filmmakers who are watching as well, uh, depending on the size of your production company as well, you might kind of max out for your COI. So for my last project, Pamela and Ivy, um, we, Jen actually helped us out with our insurance as well. Uh, we needed additional insurance and that's also an opportunity. Again, going back to relationships, the size of your production company uh, and reaching out if you need additional insurance for those purposes. Um, and that's a possibility as well. Um, so quick question from Cam Mitchell. Hey Cam, um, are any of your companies rep by an agent or agency? What does that process look like if you are? Is it important to move on to bigger projects to have rep? I'm not, uh, my company isn't repped by an agency. I am uh, in terms of literary, literary work and for my uh, producing personally, but I didn't want to put my company with an agency yet just because I really love the opportunity of kind of going out and finding those projects and still having that independent feel and the flexibility and freedom. Yeah. Um, I know people who are repped by companies as a creative duo and such, which I guess would be their little production company, but I honestly, I've never even thought about it. Like I just, I think we're, our mindset is so in the hustle mentality that we don't ever go, oh, somebody might be able to help me. Right. Well, I think it also goes to like you're as a producer or, you know, and any of us on the panel right now, we ultimately love stories. We're, we're storytellers. So I think that's a huge thing for me. It's almost a little bit of defiance. Like I want to be able to pick the projects that I'm doing and I, I want to have that, that freedom to kind of um, build my career in, the, in that regard and not kind of just go through the motions, I think. Um, this may have been answered, but I want to just make, uh, Ross Martin says I've had an LLC in the past for a film company. I'm looking to start a new business as a freelance writer, film copywriter. What would be the best ideal business setup? Sole proprietorship? Do we have a quick answer for that? Cause that's kind of goes back to your, I guess it's, he, it's sort of that, it, are you making a hundred thousand dollars in your year? If not, just be, just do a DBA. Yeah. Kind of from thing. the ta- from the tax side, that's, that's how it would be. Yes. You yeah. just be a DBA schedule C on your personal tax return, which you'll have pass through taxes, of, but then you can write off all those deductions underneath whatever, you know, enter- there's a lot of entertainment ones. Um, but if then, if you get higher, then you can, or if you're dealing with a studio, sometimes the studio requests it actually, if they, if they um, option something from you at a high level, they may re- an entity. I have a writer that that's happening to right now. Um, so we were hustling trying to put together enough, well, her and her lawyer and I were trying to f- figure out how to put that together. But typically, if you're in a low ball, you can stay sole prop until you're making more money. Um, Andrew Fan, I think it's a quick answer and I think the answer is no, but please, uh, Jennifer will know for sure. If, if you're still working a normal W-2 job, can you still fire off unemployment as a gig worker? No. That's what I figured. Um, I have if friends. you are now, but if you are W two and your um, have been reduced in hours, you can attempt to do. Uh, there is a click on the unemployment that says my hours have been reduced due to COVID, uh, so you might qualify for some. But if you're in your regular job, there's there's nothing for you. Sorry. Um, okay, so uh, Sam Cleary, how does crowdfunding play a role in taxation and making an LLC? Chris or Jennifer, do one of you guys have an answer for that? Um, crowdfunding, I highly recommend that you, if you are going to do a film and you're talking about more than $5,000, if you're actually going to raise $60,000 to $100,000 or more, uh, make sure you do not do it on your social security number. You will be 1099 directly for that. You should have an entity in place to do that. Also be wary of crowdfunding is income on your tax return. It is not equity. It is not investment. It is income if it's coming into either your social security number or the FEIN. And so if you, for some reason, like this year, crowdfunded a bunch in January and then you cannot uh, do production, you're gonna run into some serious taxes on that crowdfund. So if you have $100,000 and you spent five of it, the government will see that as profit um, next year and then you'll end up paying taxes. So crowdfunding is a very important thing. I've had a lot of mistakes in that area too, where people show up a year later and they're like, oh, we don't have any income. I'm like, no, you do actually, because crowdfunding is considered income. I, I may be doing this wrong and you might just slap me, but I, <laughs> I basically, because I'm the only, I've, I've done um, my production company for a long time without an S Corp, 
but even when I had the S Corp, I just basically say any production funds. So if, if a project, if the company's giving me $50,000 to do a project, it doesn't matter if I spent the whole 50,000 on the project, that is my income. I just have to show where I spent the money. Am I doing that correctly, Jennifer? You, you personally, so you've crowdfunded 50,000? No, no, I mean, saying? just like if a company, just in general, like if a company goes, here's 50 grand for your project or for the project we are hiring you to do. Okay. So if I, especially when I'm not an S Corp, but even when I was, um, I basically, all that 50,000 becomes my income. And then That's I have correct. to show all the receipts that I paid this person. I played this person and we rented this location. That's correct. So you have to keep record of everything. Which Absolutely. Is the same thing as crowdfunding. It's like, well, if you spent the money on the film, then you have to show the receipts of where you spent that That's money. Right. Yeah. That's um, correct. Great. So um, is it worth, this is a great one for documentary filmmakers. Is it worth pursuing a B Corp or a 501C status if you're an umbrella production company for documentary films? Um, <laughs> um, I, I do not do nonprofit tax returns because they are massive and difficult. Um, I do not specialize in them. I've sent two people to other people for that. Yeah. Um, most of the time I would recommend, uh, getting fiscal sponsorship instead to get your 501c3, um, status and depending on how you do it and how you work with them, um, like Fractured Atlas out of New York, um, you can actually work with them if you are actually going to be not-for-profit. So the biggest issue becomes if you then are for-profit because the government doesn't like that. The government doesn't like you running around saying you're not going to be for-profit, you're taking donations, they're tax-deductible, and then suddenly you sell it to Netflix and you've made a profit. So it's, it's a complicated question. Chris, you've done a lot of nonprofit stuff in the last month or two or since <laughs> December. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I think, you know, Jennifer's account of the tax consequences was great. Um, but as far as like making a production, making something nonprofit is a lot of paperwork, a lot of crossing I's, uh, dotting T's, you know, or the other way around. Uh, this is why Chris does the paperwork. Um, so it's definitely, you got to really commit. And not only for the paperwork to get yourself started, but for every single dollar line item, it's it's you got to commit to it but i guess it's worth it if you are really nonprofit. in addition to tax returns if you have a nonprofit in the state of california you're also going to need to file forms that show assets and liabilities mm -hmm. and discuss uh the the purpose of the business and um and so forth so yeah there there is a bunch of paperwork that's going to be involved which and, and if you're an entity that isn't that complex isn't very difficult like if it's something with assets below Twenty-five thousand or fifty thousand dollars. I haven't found that to be too burdensome. But then again, I'm not doing the taxes of a nonprofit. <laughs> there is a short form if it's really small, but otherwise, it's literally like a twenty-page tax return with all these complicated, lots and lots of every cent, and they make you prove it like quarterly or something. I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> um. I have, I have a couple of questions that are sort of in the same realm. Uh, Tyler asks, what are your main concerns when you started your career in film? What are your fears? What made you keep going? Kate asking, any big mistakes that any of you made that you learned a good lesson from that could help somebody getting started? Which I think kind of all, the, the bottom line question is kind of that sort of, what's the one thing you wish you knew when you first started? Is there anything in, that comes to your guys' mind? I think immediately for... For me, I was too worried to, I think as, as probably a lot of other indie filmmakers who are on this right now, it's too expensive, you know, uh, it's too expensive to get a good lawyer. It's too expensive to have, uh, you know, a proper accountant or to do my taxes or pay someone to do my taxes. And I think in the long run, I think, um, you know, just remembering why you're doing this, you're a producer. There are, you know, people who <laughs> do law, they are lawyers. Like, you, you know, respect the fact that there are certain parameters and, um, you know, find a way to make it work. Uh, there are people who want to work with you and, you know, it's almost ultimately more expensive to um, try and take the, the shortcut and cut corners just to save some type of money in the beginning. Um, and I think another thing for me uh, is just, you know, work with people you want to work with. You know, obviously we all have to pay our rent and get, you know, groceries and, and do everything. But I think, you know, um, if it, for me with the project, if I'm not stoked about it, I shouldn't do it, you know, and not looking at projects like a stepping stone in order to get to a certain level in my career. Uh, I think where I found my success have been the projects that have, 
uh, I've been ultimately so passionate about. So then I work, you know, at 110%. So just really being cognizant of, um, you know, what you're doing, how you're doing it and hiring the people who are better at their jobs than you are. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's so many like, you know, mistakes that are, they're there. There's, it's a minefield. And, you know, my, my suggestion is just to go make the mistakes, get started tomorrow, you know, and, and look to great people that you can work with, uh, develop your team. And you're going to define how you're going to find yourself and your company and your brand uh, by how you interact with those problems. Uh, and so, you know, whether that's a, a payment issue on a client side, it's just like, you never know when that's going to happen. Uh, it could happen with the biggest name. It could happen with, you know, the, the smallest client that you're starting out with. Um, but if you have a good team and an understanding of, you know, how you're going to approach the problems, uh, you're going to define that. And so those first, you know, two, three years, you're going to make all the mistakes. And that's okay. That's the, the, that's the process. Um, because you're going to develop your team through that. You're going to be like, you're going to reach out and be like, I just, I, I've got two, two, two investors and I've got, you know, two projects and you're going to go to Jennifer. You're like, Oh my God, what do I do? Okay. Don't do that anymore. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> and so you, you, you then say, okay, great. Or, or like, you know, you're, you're starting out a, a you know, a C corp and you go to Chris, you're like, Oh, I started a C corp. He's going to be like, don't do that. Go and, and amend it to an S corp. And so, you're going to make the mistakes and that's okay. Uh, you know, and if you do reach out to smart people that you know, and, and people that you respect in the industry uh, to ask their advice, I, I, I give it constantly. And I, and I'm always, uh, you know, helping those uh, younger film, filmmakers out because we know how it, how it is and how it was. And so we're very, uh, we have, we're very sympathetic to the, to the plight and it's all about creation and, and working with a great team. And I think Chris, Chris would agree with me on, I don't care if they're your best friend. I don't care if they're your husband. Everything needs to be in writing. Oh, oh my God, yes. Everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, 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 it's surprising tough. how yeah, relationships can sometimes change when money actually starts coming in, when you get that high quality problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I always tell my clients, I'm like, if you want to open a business with them, pretend like you're marrying them because it's kind of similar. <laughs> For real. For real. Uh, the I mean, list of stuff that we could share is like <laughs> probably endless in this, in this topic. Um, I, I want to get, get as many of these final questions as I can, guys. So let's do the quick answers. Um, uh, anybody who had, did anybody on, on the panel create a business plan prior to forming your production company? And what was the most revealing thing about that process? Um, I, I did not. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I made a loose plan. I think uh, my biggest thing for me was the amount of time that I thought uh, it would take for me to find success. That is, you can't determine that for sure. I think you can determine um, certain ROIs with certain projects, but I, I think, uh, what was really missing in my business plan was how long things can take. You know, there's a show I pitched my first year, my production company that just got greenlit now, and it's been four years. So that, that trajectory is kind of off. Um, but I think a business plan really helps you because it helps solidifies why you, you want to start a production company and, you know, kind of figuring out the ins and outs of what are required. And Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have to uh, create a business plan in, in, in a sense, not nothing, you know, with pictures or anything like that. But if you're, if you're, you know, uh, incorporating, you have to create a plan of these are the people that are in it. And, you know, these are the things that we're going to be doing. Uh, well, you need to know um, you, very basic information as far as the legal requirements go, like who is going to be the contact person for the company and who's the agent for service of process. But if in the context of fundraising, which ultimately you're probably going to be doing, um, then all that business plan like information is going to be included in the private placement memorandum that you give to investors uh, to explain to them, well, indie film is a very risky business, but here's why <laughs> we think we're the film that's really going to break big and so on. I think for films, business plans are a good idea because you learn very quickly if you don't know who your audience is. Yeah. So then Which you're I suddenly you, like, oh, who is going to watch this movie? <laughs> I guess you could relate that to the production company as well. Like if you really want to get your you want to make sure you have a, uh, an idea of who you are, what your values are, mm -hmm. what you will put up with, what you won't put up with, what your dreams are. That's a great reason right there just to put a little, a little deck together for your production company. Mm -hmm. um, moving on, um, <laughs> Tyler says, do you have any regrets? I'm sure we have lots. Uh, but before <laughs> That's another hour. Um, so <laughs> it's a weekly podcast. Yeah, it's like, where do we start? Do, do, you have time. Um, do you recommend that someone creates an L uh, from Carrie? Do you recommend that someone creates an LLC for a narrative feature film before the funding is in place, before the funding is in place, or do you wait until after the funding is in place? I would say before. Yes, before. Before. 
Yeah. Did you want to lay out how people are getting paid and such? And the contracts should be with the LLC, right, Chris? And Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly then you're aware of your format from your operating agreement, how they're going to be divided and everything else, right? And it's good optics for investors who want to know that you're serious, that you can show them some legal documentation. Yeah. Um. Um, uh, so, Sonia had a follow-up question to um, the filing unemployment. Um, if we, oh no, oh, wait. Let question. me say something about an LLC too. If you open an LLC in the state of California, do not forget that you have to pay eight hundred dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Everybody forgets they don't do it. And if you are not, if you want to do the S corp and get the exemption there, then you need to file that paperwork as soon as you open the company. So file the, it's form 2553, I think. I'd have to look it up immediately. But the election to file as an S-Corp, a lawyer, lawyers, no offense, Chris, often forget that. And so after, you know, a year and a half later, I, I end up with, but I thought I was an S-Corp. So just make sure that you do that. The one thing about Chris is he's actually really anal about that. And I'm like, really? There's another form? <laughs> um, <laughs> doing that lately, yeah. That's an awesome so, Good, good job, Chris. And on that note, even if you make $0 for your LLC, you're still paying $800 a year. Um, So Sonia's follow-up question is, if we can't hire freelancers at 1099s and how should we hire them, what is the proper and safe way to do it? I mean, the only choice is a W-2. I mean, you're you're paying taxes for that. A payroll company. Whatever you're doing, if you're talking about feature films, whatever you're doing for SAG, you've got to run that through payroll, run your crew through it too. Mm -hmm. And you can ask that most payroll companies will give you some kind of estimate. Um, and then for those of us with, with us with scripts, can you talk generally about the pros, cons of making a movie via your own production company versus selling or partnering to get it made? Love to hear about it from all perspectives. We don't have time to dig deep into this. Um, but so if you guys have one or two points about doing it through your own production company or just partnering or selling it. Those are very, I think those are very different. Um, if you're looking to make money, the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to sell it or to try to option it. If you're looking to see it on the screen, then you might want to do it yourself. But those are very, very different paths. You kind of have to decide, in my opinion. And the minute you partner with somebody or sell it, goodbye any creative say. Like, if you're, a ri- if you're the writer of the project, yeah. you're most likely going to, even if they say on paper, you get, you know, the say director is going to have the say, the producers are going to have the say, the editor is going to have, everybody's going to have more say. The new than writers the writer. that they hire to rewrite it for you <laughs> exactly. are going to have the say. <laughs> the director does their pass on it. It's just, I, I think most of us, that's why we do our own projects. We produce our own projects because we want to maintain that creative control because it's, it's not because it's easier. <laughs> it's no. because we're going to make think it's real. Um, moving on really quick. So uh, I'm going to leave that one for last. So you mentioned network. Oh, so we said you mentioned networking is a critical to get projects off the ground. Any other insights on advice for how or when to do it post COVID world? What have you guys had success doing to get your networking on? I've actually done uh, almost every morning through this quarantine isolation. Uh, I've had a cup of coffee or tea or something with someone I respect and admire. Um, over Zoom. So Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, whatever works for you, Facebook, uh, and just to really connect, um, you know, and be like, hey, what are you working on? This is, you know, I really would like to work with you or trying to find those people that either I've had on my social media list that, um, you know, I've been following for a while, their projects are really cool, reach out, like everyone's in the exact same position. We all want to work, we all want to make our own work. So find a way to work together. Um, And then other people who I, you know, I've never met, I send them a, a quick email and be like, hey, you know, I'd love to connect. I love X, Y, and Z, or I love, you know, whatever it is that they do um, and find a genuine compliment within there. And then that's a way to create a connection. And hopefully that will uh, turn into shared work. Obviously the shared work is is something that's, you have time for it right now. And that's, what's been great about this is uh, a friend of mine uh, said, you know, I Bailey, I see you in such a different way now because I've I've been seeing your work and and I've had the time to see your work. And he's like, it's, this is like sitting around a, a big giant campfire together. And we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, telling stories and, and, and examine each other's stories with, with the patients that, you know, we'd hope to, to, to be received by because, you know, the day to day outside of the, the COVID crisis has been, you know, just too, too, it's too blurry. Like I, uh, I, I loved uh, uh, Jennifer's film, uh, Quality Problems. And I remember like, you know, just like, I just kind of like when it came out, I was just like, I, I caught wind of it and I, and I sort of watched it and I was just like, oh yeah, yeah. And then like, but they're just like, oh, I'm going to be on a panel with Jennifer. Great. I was like, I should rewatch that. It's, it would, it seems so good. I would watch it. And I'm like, it's such a great film. It is Thanks. such a great film. It's, it's a fantastic film. And it's such a, again, it's a very like sit around the campfire and, and, and tell stories type of thing. Um, so this is, well, the I think it always goes back to using your social media, uh, 
pr uh, using your social media properly. Um, that's how I get most of my work. And here's a fun story is I, so Chris and I made a movie called The Breakout of Rock Opera that, that went to Dances with Films. The same year Bailey had a film at Dances with Films. Bailey and I met at the after party, the final final party. We exchanged what, 10 words? Hello, hello, great film, great film, good to see you. But I like the film, that's the thing. It's like, I really well, like the but, film and I key in on that. I key on what I But beyond that though, we've stayed in touch over social media. I see your work, you see my work, we see each other's working, but we're both directors, so it's not like we would hire each other. But he also sees that I'm a musical director, musical director, musical director, and then one day he has a thing come up that he doesn't want to direct, but he thinks, well, Jen's a musical director, so he calls me. So I think that it's, I, I get so much work through my social media and networking that way, because I'm an introvert, I don't like to go out of my house. This panel here is great, because I don't have to leave. Um, Amen. And I think that's, that's sort of a lot of, I think social media can, change your life if you use it properly. But you gotta, I guess, get out and meet the people too. And you gotta have the good work, like you said, Bailey. Um, before I get to our final question, um, another, some filmmakers think that a one day insurance policy is enough coverage for a quick shoot or that they can use or borrow someone else's policy. What do you guys think? Now be careful with the okay, language thanks. here. <laughs> for the production, yes, you can get through a production. Uh, I think what comes next is, you know, uh, errors and omission, et cetera, when you're, when you're going into yeah. the distribution side of things, then you get into it like another policy. So you can get by with just doing, you know, a short film. And then uh, once that short film maybe gets picked up, then you can go into uh, another policy. And the thing well, is, you're, you're co-producing. That's the yeah. thing. You're bringing on a co-producer who has a policy already. You're not buying insurance from them. Um, they have to be, the paperwork legally has to be there. You're, you are a co-producer, you are credited. Um, and then you can, sh you know, umbrella insurance, yeah. give them insurance. What were you gonna say, Jennifer? I was gonna say a lot of equipment houses have gotten um, wind of that kind of, if that's why I was saying the whole day play when people say, can I buy your insurance? And I was like, well, it's not that simple because the equipment houses are starting to learn, you know, you've got to have the same, everything's got to match. Yes. And then if I don't have paperwork on my side that matches you, I mean, right, Chris, it, is, it gets a little ugly. It's very risky <laughs> for the person ugly. who's covering you because they are putting their name on the contract for the gear. And right. then they're putting their, so basically they have to have some kind of trust and that's, it's risky. Um, okay, guys, I want to give our final question. I think this is a great question that came from the audience to wrap us up. What are the top five action items? And we could come together as a group for this. What are the top five action items that we recommend people to do now during lockdown if they're considering creating their own production company? What can they go out and do today to get moving? A business plan, <laughs> figure out why you want to be a producer uh, or figure out why you want to be a producer or have a production company, make that business plan, make those connections and try and build maybe a little bit of capital, but also um, like creative capital. Like, do you have those scripts that you already want to produce, you know, kind of start laying the groundwork to have those, uh, those projects that once you are able to film, you can, you can start. Um, what else? I think you could start now, start reaching out to, to people you want to work with. Mm -hmm. Whether it's you want to, um, if you want to bring on music clients, start networking with uh, maybe record executives or you'll be surprised how much the labels hold control over where their clients go. And Bailey, you could probably talk more to that on where their clients go to get their videos made. Yeah, um, I think having, you know, again, the, 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 the cold calling and, and doing that sort of uh, type of work is, is, is super necessary and, it's, and this is a great time for it, but also have, have work that you can show you know, and I think that's the great part about being ready at this point to make a, a company is you probably have shot a few things and you probably have uh, a lot of things in the can that you can say, hey, I, I can I can do this and I can bring something uh, to your clients or to, you know, your next project. And so when you are when you actually get a response, you know, when you when you, you know, you're, you're, you're trolling Twitter and you, you find their handle and, and they respond, you got to have something cool. Yeah. You have to have something that not, not just cool, but also that makes sense for them. And I think Mariah spoke to this something that makes sense for them. Like if I'm, if I, if, you know, if I'm an executive at BMW, like, and you're showing me like, you know, a, a food placement type of thing, like, Oh great. That was a nice, you know, Pepsi shot or something. I, I don't care about it as much. Uh, but if you show me something really cool that you did in car or, you know, it has to make sense for who you're reaching out to. And I think that we like to break things down into genre. And I think that's very important to uh, selling yourself and branding yourself is understanding what genre and what, what it is that you do well. Uh, and what you can offer people. And so when you look at those components and that, that service process, I think that informs, okay, while I'm going through my business plan, which I think is a great idea as a roadmap, 
that you're going to be like, okay, great. We are going to really capitalize and focus in on lifestyle, urban, or, or, or what have you. You're going to, you're going to define yourself. What yes. do we have? What do we have? Okay. Uh, we have that great, that great video with this person and oh yeah, that music video really took off. This is going to be fantastic. So that when we do reach out to, you know, and you develop that list, you can start picking off and they're going to be, oh yeah, I saw that music video or, you know, I, I really like the work that you've been doing. Um, so possibly you, action three step then is, so action one step is what would your short answer, Mariah, was um, making, what would you say? Business plan. Uh, business plan, right? Business plan. Okay, number one, business plan, because that focuses you, which also makes you see which kind of clients you want. Number two is reaching out to those clients blindly. Number three is going through all of your work and making reels and samples, making sure only the best stuff is on the web and it's polished and believe it. And like Bailey said, it doesn't matter if you have a cool spot that is gorgeous and amazing and beautiful. If it doesn't look like what they want, they don't care. They don't have imagination. So we need two more. Chris, Jennifer, you have anything to add? I don't think it's ever really too early to start reaching out to professionals. And I don't mean this for the sake of, you know, <laughs> making legal fees. I tend to give a lot of free advice and an initial call or something so like I, that uh, before so I actually I. start drafting documents. I know I shouldn't say that, but no, I know. Yeah. So, I. so find, so find a, maybe a lawyer and a, a tax person that you can't, that you like, that you vibe with and that you know you can call on mm -hmm. when things, when you need them, if not now. And then maybe five is just what's an actionable item besides, you know, just go do it. <laughs> well, I think that might very well be it. Like, you know, go do the thing. Like if that's what you want to do and you've taken these steps, then I, you know, jump, <laughs> jump with both feet in. I think that's a huge thing. You know, um, if you're prepared and no one really does anything before they're 100% ready, but, uh, you know, I think go, go do the thing. If that's, if you're ready to go do it and you have those steps in place and you uh, are ready to, um, take the leap, go, you know, either form your LLC or your, your S Corp or you're, you know, in a different country, incorporate or register um, and, and go do it. Now's the and time. Talk to your network too. talk to your network. Don't underestimate the people that you've already been working with or you went to school with or whoever, because you just never, never, ever know. Actually, <laughs> I, I love this quote that I heard recently. Network your own network. It is so fertile. <laughs> 